Pastor James has been preaching uh, through a series in the book of John, uh, which has been absolutely um, refreshing and helpful for us. Uh, and, and as a part of that, once a month, every month, uh, we've been going through a mini-series of sorts on the word of the year, which is Behold. And the idea of the word um, that, that we believe uh, God showed Pastor James um, is, is to behold Christ this year um, in a very deep way. And as we behold him, we become more like Christ as we do that. And uh, how do we do that in the Behold series? We look at the promises of God and his faithfulness to those promises in our lives. Um, and today, the promise we're going to look at is he renews us. Anybody need renewal this morning? Man. But praise God, it is found in Jesus Christ. He renews us. Um, and we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. And it says this. We'll read it one more time. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray together. Lord God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that we can learn more about you, we can have a deeper relationship with you, and that in that relationship there is, there is life, and there is life eternal. And in that relationship there is renewal as well. So we pray that as we go through this text we learn about that renewal, we learn about how to, how to fight for renewal in the midst of dark situations. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul claims in this, in this text behind me, to have found something that I think virtually everybody, not just everybody, but everybody in the world is looking for. Um, and that is because it's that amazing of a claim, right? And the claim that he's making, we see in verse 16, right? We do not lose heart. That's the claim. And I guess the question we should ask ourselves is, have you lost heart recently? Have you experienced losing heart ever? Have you ever wanted to quit? I mean, like quit the exact thing that God has called you to. Quit ministry. Uh, quit, your mission, quit on your missional family. Quit on praying for the salvation of that loved one because it just seems hopeless. Quit on fighting against that sinful addiction because you just keep messing up. If you're tempted to quit, Paul has something for us today. Because the reality is, like, in the church, where, where sin-stricken saints get together consistently, conflict is inevitable. And though it's common, it still hurts and leaves us discouraged, leaves us disheartened. Or maybe things at, at your workplace, maybe it's a Christian vocation. Uh, maybe things aren't working out the way you thought they would, or they're not working out the way you think they should. And we want to quit. We want to throw in the towel. We want to stop. 
And again, in one sense, I, I think everyone in the world wants what Paul has found. And we can test this. I'm curious if anyone walked in today and said, wow, I really hope that someone sings a song that just discourages my heart. Right, nobody. Well, I hope, I hope Levi, when he gets up today, he just really rips the hope out of my soul. You know, nobody, nobody says that um, because virtually everyone wants what Paul is stating God can give, which is that we do not lose heart, but in fact are being renewed. Help me be hopeless. Help me lose my motivation. Nobody, nobody wants that. And so before, before we actually dig into what that secret for endurance is, or what Paul is going to show us here about how to fight for renewal in the midst of discouragement, let's make sure we know who it is that's letting us in on this secret. Um, because really, there's no one more qualified to talk about suffering. No one more qualified to talk about pain uh, than, than really the Apostle Paul. Whipped with 39 lashes five different times, Beaten with rods three different times. Pummeled with stones on an occasion. Shipwrecked three times. Adrift at sea an entire night and an entire day. Journeys that are frequent. Dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from his own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. Toil and hardship, sleepless nights that are countless. Hunger and thirst cold and exposed, the, the pressure to top it all off, the pressure and the anxiety of the churches that he ministers to over their hearts and their souls. Now, this is the Apostle Paul's life. So he certainly has the authority as one divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's enough. Uh, but, but also he speaks about suffering as a person who has been through it himself. I think it's important for us to, to know here today um, I'm not speaking necessarily from my own experience. My job here today is not to tell you about me. My job here today is to tell you about what the Bible says, what God's word says. And that's where the authority lies. And Paul is definitely someone, obviously has the Holy Spirit inspiration, but also the experience of one who has suffered. And so now we come to our text today, and I want to show you three things. Three things from Paul not to lose heart. Three ways not to lose heart, or I'll say it this way. Three secrets for endurance. Three secrets for endurance. And the first one we're going to look at here. Rejoice that the inward man is being daily renewed. Rejoice that the inward man is being daily renewed. So in verse 16, Paul says here, even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And in Christ, we have sort of two aspects of our being. And there's a sense in which these two aspects are going in two different directions. There's the outward man, which is our body. And it's the part of each other's being that, that we can all see. And then there's the inward man, which has been made new in Christ. And Paul uses this phrase, wasting away. Uh, now, this phrase, it translates into a word that's used several times in the New Testament. I'll mention just a couple for us here. Luke chapter 12, verse 33. Provide yourselves a treasure in the heavens where no moth destroys. You put away your nice winter coat for the summer and take it out in the winter, and it is ruined where the moths have, and here it is, eaten it away. 
Revelation chapter 8, verse 9. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Destroyed not by being eaten away, but by the great mountain of burning fire being thrown into the sea, capsizing and consuming thousands of ships. And so that's the word that Paul is using here, wasting away. Our outer man, our outer self is wasting away. And, it's, and he's describing the condition where he does not lose heart. So his outer man is wasting away, and simultaneously, he is in the process of not losing heart and being renewed. So, so he's describing the experience he's having at the same time as not losing heart. So Paul is being destroyed and at the same time not losing heart. He's being renewed. And I think what we see here, and I think it's up on the screen, in Jesus, there is renewal offered in the midst of destruction and suffering. In Jesus, there is renewal offered. There is strength. There is encouragement. There is hope offered in the midst of destruction and suffering. And I'll mention, too, I think for for the Apostle Paul, and I think for us as well, there were two sources of this destruction, of this destroying power of the outer man in his life. And and the first is uh, the destruction, two two ways, fallen nature. And by fallen nature, I mean that the, the whole natural world is under the curse of futility, corruption, pain, and death. Uh, Paul says it in Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 23. The creation was subject to futility in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage of corruption. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So, so, so understand what this means for the believer of Jesus Christ. In Christ, we're fully free. We are fully forgiven. We have life eternal. But at the same time, we are not free from corruption and death here and now on earth. We will waste away. We will die. Or we'll be swept away by a flood or struck by lightning or die of disease. This is fallen nature. And that's the first force that's sort of destroying Paul here that he mentions. And the second is fallen man. Fallen man. So he's being destroyed by fallen nature, but he's also being destroyed by fallen man. Uh, Verse 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So it's this idea that if nature ain't going to kill you, people people are, right? At least in Paul's case, right? Because he was persecuted. People were after him to kill him. He was tortured. So whether it's fallen nature or fallen people, Paul is being destroyed, He's being wrecked, being struck down, wasting away, dying. And it's precisely in that situation, in that situation of destruction, probably more bleak than any of us will ever experience. In that situation, Paul experiences the secret of not losing heart, but being renewed day by day. And before we get to that, that secret specifically, I want to mention one more thing. The experience of not losing heart, according to the text, it fades. The experience of not losing heart fades and must be renewed because the text says day by day. 
And so let's look at that word renewed in verse 16. I believe it's up there. Maybe, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16. Is it the next one? No, lied to you. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So, so I, I want us to see what that means. It means refreshing, renewal, strength-giving drink. You took the morning uh, that kept you from losing heart yesterday must be taken again the next morning, night, or noon. It's renew. It means something runs out. The bucket leaks. The car runs out of gas. The spiritual metabolism of your life feasted on the renewing meal, and now it needs another one. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Its own trouble. Its own wasting away. Its own destruction. Its own moths and rust and persecution and pain and dying. Each day has its own. And the car of your hope and strength and joy is not meant to run on yesterday's gas. The metabolism of your spiritual renewal is not meant to run on yesterday's meal. Or the relief from your spiritual medicine does not come from yesterday's dosage. The text says day by day the renewal comes. There are no gas tanks in the car of your faith big enough to never need refueling. And so look at what it says. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. And this, this in itself, actually we're going to look at Lamentations as well because I think it is important. And the Bible also says, so it not only says sufficient for the day is its own trouble, but in Lamentations chapter 3 it says the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. So new trouble every day, new mercies every day that we are to draw from. There is new water flowing from the fountain. And I was just thinking of my own, actually it was this morning. I was thinking of my own life in, in, in um, light of this text and how often I run on empty. How often like in the midst of difficult circumstances, I just keep going day to day, not, not accepting the renewal that, that is at the feet of Jesus so now the outward man is constantly going in the direction of decay. There's no way to stop that. Uh, a body that is, that is going to one day die, even though it will be resurrected. But the inward man, however, as our outer self is decaying and being destroyed, is being renewed. It's going in a different direction than our outer self. And from God's perspective, the trials and times of affliction you and I undergo only have an absolute impact on our outward man. It's undergoing day-by-day day destruction, whether by natural processes or by fallen man. But those same trials and afflictions do not impact the inward man in the same way. They only, they only bring our inward man down to the degree we allow them to do so. That is, when we take our focus off of Jesus. If we keep our eyes on that which is eternal, however, and remember that the, the momentary light affliction, which we'll get to, is producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison, then the inward man will experience that renewal day by day. Um, so how can we endure in the midst of trials? First, we rejoice that the inward man is being renewed. And secondly, we remember that present affliction has an eternal purpose. Remember that present affliction as an eternal purpose. 
And the text says this in verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us, some versions say producing for us, it's an important verb here, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So, so Paul's suffering for the sake of his mission for Christ uh, was not easy by any human standard. In chapter 1 of this letter, he described a recent incident that left him and his friends, and it says in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we, desire, that we despaired of life itself. In other words, he felt the impact of his suffering. Uh, his experience were not trivial, trivial, they were brutal, they were difficult. And now Paul wants his readers to see, and I believe God wants us to see, that by comparison, the very worst experiences of suffering on earth are only light and momentary affliction when compared to the glory of the eternity with God that is to come. The comparison he makes, it's one of magnitude and one of time. So so weighed on a scale, any suffering in this life is far outweighed by the glory of the life to come. And measured in time, the suffering here happens in an instant and is replaced by glory forever compared to the glory that is to come. And because Paul knows this to be true, and because Paul decides to focus in on this reality in the midst of his pain and suffering, he experiences spiritual inward man renewal. And and Paul, Paul actually does more. He goes the extra mile here. He does more than just compare his suffering to glory to come. Uh, But he also describes it as preparation, as producing something. And and, and to Paul, his suffering is not meaningless. It serves as a purpose. It, It is getting him ready to experience the far heavier glory of eternity. Uh, He put it this way in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And and it's that hope of glory, that hope of eternity, it's what keeps Paul from losing hope, and he continues to carry out the difficult mission of carrying the light of Jesus Christ in his context into the world. So you want to endure You want to not lose heart in the midst of difficult circumstances? Remember that your current pain has purpose. Your current pain has purpose. Uh, Paul writes in verse 17 to tell us something that we could never figure that out. Only God knows those things. But it's a wonderful truth and a wonderful reality to set our hearts on nonetheless. So, So here, it's an interesting phrase that Paul uses He calls affliction, he calls suffering light. And even I, when I'm reading through it, it seems like an insensitive thing to say. Um, Especially when you're in the midst of it. Affliction doesn't feel light at all. It doesn't feel light. In fact, it feels burdensome, heavy, unbearable at times. Uh, But what an amazing thing it is that that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us that from eternity's perspective, it is light. And and that gives us a hint of how glorious our future in Christ really is. If those trials, which seem so heavy at the time, are truly light, 
then how glorious the presence of Christ in eternity will be for us. And, uh, I'm not there. Uh, the main verb uh, here in this verse, uh, to work or to produce, uh, I think in our version, um, it is to prepare. It's also in the form to suggest something that's continuous or progressive. So even right now, as we're going through it, as we're going through this trial, this momentary time of affliction, in the hands of God's, in God's mighty, sovereign, loving hands, by his grace, it's even now working for us something eternal. And I want us to see um, some parallelism here in the text. So stay with me for a second, um, because I think it's worth it. Notice in the text here, that which is light, that which is light, is right now in God's sovereign loving hand producing something that is weighty, something heavy. That which is momentary, which is brief, in God's sovereign, mighty, loving hand is producing something eternal, something that lasts. And that which is described as affliction in God's mighty, sovereign, loving hand is producing right now something that is glorious. And this is the hope that Paul is, is drawing out for us here in this text. That which is light, God is producing to be weighty. That which is temporary, God is producing to be eternal. And that which is affliction and suffering, God is producing to be glorious. And for the believer in Christ, I think based on this text, again, it can sound like an insensitive thing to say, but my job is not to talk from here, me. My, God, my job is to talk from what the scriptures is teaching. According to the text, believers in Christ, there is no such thing as pointless suffering. There are afflictions, there are trials, there are times of suffering, but they're never pointless. In fact, far from it. In God's hands, light affliction which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And if we remember this, as we keep our eyes on the unseen things, we will not lose heart. So how can we endure in times of trial? How can we not lose heart on life's journey? First, we rejoice that the inward man is being renewed. And secondly, we remember that Present affliction has eternal purpose. And finally here, we keep our focus on eternal things. We keep our focus on eternal things. Um, this wasn't in my notes, and this wasn't in our conversation about the text. Um, how much will it apply? I'm not sure. I was thinking about it this morning. Once again, I get in so much trouble when I start doing that. Like, just start adding things in the morning. It'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but my, just speaking in, in terms of keeping your focus on eternal things, and we've been talking about being on mission for Christ and the book of John and being a witness for him. And I was thinking about how this point in particular, maybe it doesn't necessarily draw back to the main point of the text, but this point in particular has so much to do with living on mission. Um, my grandmother now, she's in hospice care. Um, we've been close for some time now. She's an unbeliever. She's a Jehovah's Witness. Um, and the doctors are giving her days uh, to live. And I, so I was recalling this morning um, 
a time a while back. I was a freshman in college, and, um, you know, freshman in college, it was Bible college, um, so all the math I do is, you know, chapters and verses. Um, <laughs> but, but I was in a, um, I, I was at school, and I came back to Alabama for the summer. Um, and I, w- I went to school in Chicago, uh, went down to Alabama. And I was having a conversation with my grandmother. You know, first year Bible student, you know everything. You, you ain't know nothing. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, so I'm having a conversation with her. And the conversation actually led to, to spiritual things. And, um, and as we're talking, I remember thinking to myself, right, she's a Jehovah's Witness. She doesn't believe in, in the true Jesus. She doesn't believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. She doesn't believe that he is Lord over her life, that he is creator of all things. Um, but he is. And so we're having this conversation about spiritual things, and it was all stuff that we agree on. It's like, ain't the Bible so cool? You know, that, that, was, that was basically the extent of our conversation up to that point. You know, it's like, oh, you know, there's love stories, there's action, there's all these cool things, you know. And that was, the, it was extremely shallow. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, man, how can I gear this conversation in a certain way that, that we don't get to any disagreements? That was my mindset the whole time. And she went back to one of her drawer spaces, and she took out some letters. And my brother and I, um, when we were growing up, when I was very young, we lived here in Korea when I was growing up, and my, parents of, my grandparents, of course, were in Alabama. We used to write letters to my grandmother, um, and they were letters like, here's who Jesus is, grandmother. You need to believe in him. Right? And I, was, I remember the first prayer I prayed for my grandmother, I was six years old. That, that she would come to Christ. And I remember as I wrote these letters down, my brother would write the same. His were much better than mine. But she took out these letters, and she didn't take out my letters. She took out my brother's letters. But there's a reason for it. It's because about seven, eight years ago, my, my brother denounced the faith and became an atheist. So my, my grandmother wanted to encourage me, I guess, that, that he really, there was a point in his life where he really cared about her soul and about her spiritual self. And as I was reading my brother's letters that he wrote, and now he's an atheist, right? But, but, but at the time, he, he wrote these things, and I remember thinking to myself, here I am, first year of Bible college, looking for a way to, to skip through this conversation so things aren't uncomfortable. And there my grandmother is, who doesn't believe in the true Jesus Christ. And here I am reading letters from my brother who is now atheist, God using that situation to say, Levi, what are you doing? And I put the letters down and I said, Grandmother, who is Jesus to you? Um, I don't know if you know the, the adage, so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I think it's twisted. We can be so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. And we need to keep our focus on eternal things because once again, there are people even within our families that don't know Jesus Christ. Keep our focus on the eternal things and we're gonna look at our text one more time. Um, So let's read it here. I I think it'll be, be up there. And I want us to look at the verb here that's used to view intently to keep our eyes on, or to behold. 
to behold. And, and that's, that's in the, the form, again, the, the form that the verb is used here is continuous. It's a habit. And, and I, I think it would be helpful for us to recall, some of you might not know the story, and that's fine, uh, the story of, of Peter. Uh, Peter, the, 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 the apostle of Jesus Christ, one of his closest disciples, his closest followers, and there he is with the, the other disciples um, out on the water, and he's fishing. And, and then a sudden storm. And then out in the distance, they see Jesus Christ coming toward them. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 14, verse 28. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And I want you to remember what Peter said. Lord, if it is you... Command me to come to you on the water. And, and Jesus did so, and Peter walked on the water to go to the Lord. Now, so long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, he did fine. Uh, but the text says that when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And Jesus, in his grace, did save him. But then Jesus added the gentle rebuke, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And I think that serves as a good example to us of how, how important it really is that we diligently work to keep our focus on Jesus and the gospel in the midst of those trying storms of life. And so now going back to our text, uh, Paul says that we should not make practice of keeping our focus on the things which are seen. And I think that means the aspects of the trials that affect negatively our outer man. Right? Again, we're not, we're not supposed to ignore pain. We need to recognize. We need to recognize those difficult and painful things as really happening. But they are not to be our main focus. They are not to be what we look at intensely. If they are the only things we concentrate on and devote our main attention to, then we will sink. We will lose heart. So don't look at the wind. Don't look at your feet like Peter did. Intensely look upon Jesus Christ. And I think some of us, at least I do this, I, I believe that the gospel um, was for me when I decided to put my faith in Jesus Christ. But the truth is the gospel is for us every single day. That we look upon the Lord, we look upon the cross, we go to the feet of Jesus, and especially in the midst of those trying circumstances. Uh, so to wrap up this morning, uh, let me say this. As we constantly have opportunities to grow tired, which we will, things will be difficult, we want to quit, we want to lose heart, and again, our outer selves are wasting away. It's a tiring thing. We live in a broken world. Opportunities to lose heart are boundless. So when those times, seasons, days come, what do we do? And let me encourage you, and this will be sort of specific. Get away. Uh, meet alone with the Lord. Open your Bible and ask, Lord, help me to see what it is in this trial that I'm focusing on. Is it on the seen things or on the unseen things? I need your wisdom to deal with the realities of this trial that I can see, but help me to keep my main focus on the eternal truths that I can only see with the eyes of faith. Help me to know and, and to put my trust in what your word says are the unseen things that remain true in the midst of trial. And that part's entirely up to us. 
We need it every day. Will you go to him every day? Um, And the truth is that when we keep our focus on Jesus in the midst of decay and suffering, there is renewal found in Jesus and in his gospel. I had a roommate in college, so many college stories today. I had a roommate in college, and um, he, oh, we used to take classes together. And um, he was way smarter than me, so I'm not sure why I did that, because it just made me feel bad, academically speaking, really bad. Uh, but we did. We were friends, so we, we would sign up for class together, go to class and whatnot. And um, we were in a class in theology. I went to Bible school once again. And um, so we're sitting there in our theology class, and the professor is talking about, um, he's talking about God as Father, so theology proper, right? So what does it mean that God is Father? So he's unpacking text from the Old Testament, New Testament, God is your Father, right? And so for me, as a student, I'm like listening, like, okay, I've heard this before, you know, I'm taking notes, whatever, it's all good, right? And then after class, he seemed a bit distraught, so I asked him about it, and he said, well, it's actually difficult for me to relate to God as Father, because my father abandoned me at an early age. So he's explaining that to me. We're talking through that with him. And then another class, it was the same. No, no, no. It was a different class. Maybe it was the same class. Unnecessary detail. We were in a, we were in a class, and a professor was speaking, and we were there. Um, and he was now talking about the passion narrative. So Jesus Christ going to the cross uh, for our sins and whatnot. He was talking about the gospel. And he, he got to the point where Jesus exclaims on the cross, Psalm 22. And Psalm 22, of course, serves as prophecy, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it also, I believe, shows the, the felt reality that Jesus is having there on the cross. And so, so he's, he's talking about what Jesus said, my God, and he's explaining that this is the first instance in which uh, God the Son is talking to God the Father, but when he's referring to God the Father, doesn't call him Father, calls him God. And so to, to display sort of this the separation, relationally speaking, between the Father and the Son. And for me, once again, I'm taking notes. I'm writing it down. It's all fine. I look over at my friend, and he's in tears. And we talk afterwards, and all he says is, he knows. He knows. And I was, what does he know? Well, he knows what I'm feeling. And in the book of Hebrews, we learn that Jesus Christ is our great high priest, one that can empathize with us at the deepest level of our suffering. So I would say, whatever pit you find yourself in, however deep it may be, Jesus is there. He's not only there, but he desires to walk with you in that. And we are too, as believers in Christ, welcome him into our suffering. Focus on him, uh, because he desires to be with us in that. And when we do that, there is renewal. When we welcome him into our moments of suffering, there is renewal. When we focus on the unseen promises of the kingdom, our inheritance, our future glory with him, there is renewal. The pain is real. There is decay. uh, But what is equally true is that there is renewal for those who look to Christ. So do not lose heart. Let's pray together. And ask the praise team to come up.